a lot of people who study lean, they, they learn what, they, what they're still teaching. As far as I know, the, most people are teaching the two pillars, continuous improvement and respect for the people. And, and in, the, in the sake of continuous improvement, when I teach it, I teach it different. And I, I lay them down on the side. I mean, on the, I lay them over. And for me, because the context I talk about it is respect for the people is the foundation for continuous improvement. So the way I talk about it, it goes on the bottom, but it's the opposite of the way you're talking about it. But they mean the same exact thing, right? You're just coming from a different angle. So I, I teach, you know, 87% of our results come from character, 13% from competency. And those are based on research studies from different folks. And basically what I'm saying when I flip them over is 87% of our continuous improvement, lean, whatever you want to call it, is based on the respect for people. And I kind of say that's the 87% of the character piece of the foundation, two, two foundational layers, right? Respect for people and continuous improvement. And continuous improvement is really the competency side. And it's the 13% of the equation. So I'm sure anybody who understands lean will understand what I was just talking about. It's better than the two pillars, I think. Absolutely. But they're not equal. It's, they're not equal. They are not equal. This, this is the right audience for you, Mac. And I completely agree. You know, we're saying we come at it from a different perspective, but our intention and the way we're communicating, I think resonates the same way. Exact same thing. I love what you said about your shirt and what you said is 100% true. Yeah. What I said about my shirt, we were talking before we hit record. I said, I have respect for people on my chest. It's right over my heart on purpose by design. And I tell people that continuous improvement is subordinate to that because you can't start having continuous improvement until you first have respect for people. So respect for people first, and only then can we move down into continuous improvement. And for some people, I was telling Mac, it might take a lifetime before you get down there. That's how important it is. And character and competency, Mac, those are also two things that Stephen Covey put on my radar as foundational parts of trust. Absolutely. And and that resonates with me, what you're saying about character being such a major driver. A lot of the things we teach, I teach a lot of lean tools too, but it's more often really just helping people bring the better parts of their character through for what they want to achieve. I agree hundred percent. And Stephen Covey is my number one. I've been reading every day since 2008 and 2008 was when I was introduced to a one hour audio of the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen R. Covey. And uh, I didn't know then that not this entire industry existed. No, no one ever introduced me to this type of content. In 2008, I'd been in manufacturing for 20 years and ne never once in 20 years did a leader invest one penny or one minute introducing me to the type of content I talk about and write about today. Leadership development, character development, cultural transformation, all that stuff, but mainly character is what I'm talking about. It's the root of everything that I do is about character development. Yeah, right on. My dad actually tried giving me Stephen Covey's book like three times when I was in high school and I just kept finding reasons not to read it. And then one day I was going through my stuff at my dorm and the book was there. I had the book. I must've taken it with me when I went to college and I finally read it. And I was like, wow, this is book was so good. And I didn't give my dad any credit for giving me that book back until, <laughs> until years later, dad, thank you for that book. The funny thing is my son. Now I have a 13 year old Mac. He's in seventh grade. And okay. Covey. Stephen's son wrote a yep. book for teenagers, yep. book, seven highly yep. effective habits. And my son and I were reading like a couple pages a day. We just finished reading it recently on uh, sharpening the saw yep. and I'm just laughing. The stories that Sean tells about his dad <laughs> in the book are so funny. I think it's a great book. If you've got young kids, 
don't make my mistake. Get them a copy, tell them why it's important to read it and let them read it so that your benefit like Mac and I did from putting this stuff together. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think Sean wrote the same one, uh, seven habits for happy kids, you know, for even younger kids. Like I think it was him. I can't remember one of the coveys wrote the, the one that's a big picture book, you know, for six year old, you know, age group. And then they got the teens book. And I, I had a client I shared recently with about the, the teens book, the seven habits for highly effective teens. And I encourage him to, you know, lead them through a book study and, I, I teach a little different than a, most people teach a book study. I, I teach how to facilitate one where you create a safe environment where there's no judgment, there's no discussion, there's no homework, there's no preparation. You, It's just basically reading and sharing. And for, for your listeners, if somebody really were to want to know how to do an effective, facilitated, effective book study, it's uh, episode 305 on my Blue Collar Leadership podcast. I got 30 minutes where I really help you learn how to do what I actually learned to do from John Maxwell in Guatemala in 2013. I, we learned three steps down there. We kicked off the cultural transformation of the entire nation of Guatemala. 150 of us paid our way to go there and uh, help John do, do what he was there to do. And pretty cool. Cause we were from all around the world. I mean, some people were from the other side of the world from all different countries and everybody paid their way. And we went there and we got trained for a day or two. And then we, over the next two days, they brought in people from all leaders from all over the country of Guatemala, all different walks of life, pastors, business executives, city leaders, and their staff, you know, mayors. And we trained over 20,000 Guatemalan leaders in a couple of days. And what I teach in that episode is the first two steps. And I leave off the assessment because most people ain't going to do the first two steps. If I can get them to do the first two steps, maybe one day they'll do the assessment, but the assessment adds a lot of time and a lot of vulnerability and you got to go a little deeper. Most people ain't, ready for that piece yet so anyway i just want to share that with you there it might be some value to you i know you said you you had a book and if you could get people to to facilitate a book study around your book like i teach even on, on my session it worked with any book you don't have to be my books my books are written like on purpose that way there's 30 chapters with three pages per chapter most of them so you can cover a chapter in six or seven minutes so a lot of my clients they do a, a book study once a week, sometimes they'll do twice a week, do two chapters, you know, separately. I can feel like my, like I'm resonating, like at a higher vibration. So this is just incredible. I'm so glad that our paths crossed and, and you've got uh, such an amazing story and approach. I love your philosophy, Mac. I'm going to just, this is going to be an episode where I'm just going to be buttering you up the whole time. <laughs> so people, as always check the show notes, because I will put uh, links in the description below to the things, anything that Mac shouts out, I will get those links down in there as our token of gratitude to all of you listeners and listeners, while you're clicking down on that description, go ahead and tap that like button so that Mac and I know that you enjoyed and got value from this episode. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, scheduling manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, 
is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach RefineMySite takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try RefineMySite for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute, LCI, is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Mac Story. Mac Story has a very unique background and experience. Ladies and gentlemen, click in the details below so that you can see the full picture of what his bio is and the best places to contact him. This is an episode that you're going to love. Mac and I have been talking already, even before we got started, and I'm already dancing in my chair because of all the cool stuff he's saying and all the alignment that we have. They're coming at the same things from different angles and different ways for different audiences. So if you're listening to the show and it starts to resonate with you, please share this with other people so you can get a hold of Mac. Follow him on social media. And he's got amazing resources out there. Mac, you're a giver. So please give us a little bit about your background so we can get connected to you even better. All right. Thank you, Felipe. And the mutual feeling here, as soon as we started talking, I knew we were on the same wavelength. And you can always tell, right? You just know. And and it's I say, it's, you know, it's who we are is who we attract kind of thing. And it's easy to tell if you got that going on. So thank you for having me on the show and sharing uh, your audience with me. And, you know, once this is out, I'm going to share you with my audience. And uh, you mentioned social media. My main platform is LinkedIn, although I pretty much copy everything from LinkedIn and share it on a lot of other platforms. But LinkedIn is it's the hub. It's where everything comes from. So I got a newsletter out there just started recently, too. And if you don't have one, you may want to consider that. It's a pretty powerful way to get your mess- message out there and take some nuggets out of your book, share with folks. But how how I got to where I'm at, uh, just a little background. I started in manufacturing in 1988 and uh, graduated high school in 87, went in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Infantry Reserve Desert Warfare Unit back back in those days. So once I got all my reserve kind of duties out of the way and my initial training and that stuff, I started in manufacturing. Only because my bunkmate at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, lived near where I lived. I didn't know him before we got in the same set of bunk beds. And uh, his father was a a supervisor in a manufacturing plant, Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, I got to tell you, audience, too, I'm bilingual. A lot of people think that means I speak English and, and Spanish, but that ain't it. It's English and country. And I'm <laughs> I'm much better at speaking country than, than I am English. But but I speak with a lot of apostrophes. They're there. You just can't see them. But you'll hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I spent a lot of time in Texas myself growing up as a kid, Max. So you could go ahead and drop y'alls and... <laughs> Come okay. back now, you hear us, and that's all good here on this show. This is country friendly. Okay. And and so we got out of infantry school and got back, and he got me a job. His dad got me a job down there working in his actually the place was called Dana Corporation. They, I think they're still in business doing different things. We I worked on a steering knuckle line, making the knuckles for big, big rig trucks to go on the I-beam axles, and then uh Worked there about a year and about a hundred of us got laid off and I was one of the new folks. So I got laid off from there and 
And then I went to a, a company called Falk Corporation. I worked there for 14 years. They're owned by Rex Nord now. They're in the power transmission industry. I worked in the coupling division. Uh, during that time, you know, first 10 years, though, I was a frontline entry-level factory worker, basically. I operated various CNC lays, mills, and drills, and all that sort of stuff. And eventually started working my way up after that and started programming. I learned to program all those lays and mills and drills and i also did drafting so i was drawing chuck setups and tools setup sheets and then eventually i started setting up new sales get the equipment in and set it up and i don't have an engineering degree but i got a lot of engineering experience i worked my way through and got a business degree which i used and after those 14 years i i went across town about five miles and doubled my pay so it's just oh. crazy how the how the world works you know somebody in a company that i don't know nothing about willing to pay me twice as much as a company that i know everything about but <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to leave, but it made my life better to leave and doubled my pay. And then I got some new experience and went, started there as a cost estimation engineer, which is what I was doing when I left the, the other company. And that was Donaldson company. I went to Donaldson is a air filtration industry. They do a lot of water, air filtration. I worked in a plant that made mufflers, exhaust products and tubes. And, uh, after about a year, my job kind of went away and I became a process engineer helping do process improvement. And then another year after that, our company, which was about $2 billion, 70 plants around the world, they decided they were going, what people say, go lean, right? They had right. never done it, even though they'd been around since 1915. This was in 2005. They decided to go lean. And our plant manager tried to get some of his staff managers who already had a full-time job to take on lean as an extra duty. None of them wanted to do it. And they came to me and asked me if I'd do it. And man, I held my hand up like, yeah, I'll do it. I don't know how to do it. I ain't never done it. I've had it done to me the wrong way. <laughs> so I know how I want to do it, but I got a lot to learn. I've never led, you know, through all the lean tools. So I, I did that and, and executed that. And then, uh, you know, did that for three years. We went from minus 3% growth profit margin to plus 35%. We became the, the pilot for all the 70 plants around the world for, for Donaldson and, and I got to start helping other plant managers in other states and also down in Monterey, Mexico. Got to go spend three different weeks down there helping that team, telling them. I told those folks, I said, I'm down here to help you keep your jobs. If y'all don't do what I'm telling you, we're going to take jobs back up there, just like you took them down here. But I'm here to help you not have that happen. And actually, they didn't implement it well. And we ended up, we did it very well at my plant. And I told them, you competing with me. So you better learn what I'm going to teach you or you're going to lose, but I don't want you to lose. That's up to you. And we ended up, though, uh, we took three of their muffler lines back to our plant. Once we freed up space, we freed up uh, 70,000 square feet out of a 150,000 square foot building. It was packed. We didn't have room for any of that stuff until after we did it. So anyway, got great results. 2008, I resigned, started my own lean manufacturing consulting company and did that for four years. I was booked solid every week. And, and then after that, I decided I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do what I'm doing now which is what I really call respect for the people side of lean instead of the continuous improvement side. And, and now I'm privileged to speak to all kinds of industries. Felipe, you may not know it, may not believe it, may not matter. But uh, in 2018, I got to speak at Yale University about blue-collar leadership. Doesn't even make sense. I have no idea how that ever happened. It was never a goal. It just happens when in things, when you grow, things happen. And so we speak in as many as 40 states in a year in Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, as I mentioned mainly the U S that's a long story, but I got a long story. <laughs> oh, I love that story, Mac. And I do believe it. I actually saw the video. Oh, I you watched it. I did. Of course I watched it. 
You so saw I, me in my Halloween costume. I got to see Mac, and uh, I think that was your wife with you, right? Rhea. Yep, Rhea. Yeah, yeah and they were speaking to a class of uh, students and professors at Yale University about the importance. Actually, actually, it was a, a, a group of talent professionals from all around the country. <laughs> Even so, better. Yeah, it was awesome. Even better, yeah. I've got a friend that uh, does some stuff at Princeton. So we've got, you never know like how your, your network and your friendship and how people are paying attention, where you're going to get to speak and where you're going to end up. And, and I was telling Mac before the show, like I have my own book too. Now I don't write the volume that Mac, Mac is putting out just a high volume of quality literature for his audience. And I can already, Mac, I can already hear my audience like complaining to me, like, why don't you write more books? And I've had a lot of people already ask me, like, when's your next book going to come out? It's, I was like, people, it's only been a year. Let me enjoy. I'm going to enjoy it for a second. Then I'm going to get on the Mac story train and start to just pump <laughs> books out. on people. But for, for right now, I think that uh, the, the stuff that Mac's putting together is something that is critically important right now. Because it says a couple of things about your character. Number one, you don't shy away from raising your hand and asking for more. And I think so many people think that stuff just happens for you and opportunities hit. And maybe that's true. But for people like Mac and I, things don't accidentally <laughs> fall in our lap. It's <laughs> no. We put the work in. And so if you're out there and you're just wondering like, oh, I want to do blah, blah, blah. Well, go do it. Raise your hand. Go learn. Mac learned on his own how to do lean better because it was being done wrong to him. I'm also self-trained in all the lean things that I've done. And then that got me to the right network of people to learn even better and take my skills to a higher level. People like Mac. And I consider myself super lucky to have, be on a platform like LinkedIn where I can bump into people like Mac making a massive difference across the planet. Why is respect for people the foundation starting point for you? Why that became the most critically important thing with all the successes that you've had. Well, part of it was when I was, you know, when I was saying I had lean done to me, that was in, that was uh, not, not in the plant where I started leading it. That was in, you know, the, the plant that I was in before the one I'd been at for 14 years They they didn't even really call it lean or anything. They had a name for it, but we didn't understand it to be lean or anything really. Then and they just did it to us. They sent in, <clears throat> excuse me, they sent in uh, corporate engineers and, redesigned the sales. We went from batch and queue. You know, I didn't know all this language then, yeah. but, uh, but I was there. I know what happened. We, we went from batch and queue operation to cellular operation, which was awesome. The only problem is they didn't include us. All they did was teach us how to run a equipment as a sale. They didn't, we didn't have any input. There was no Kaizen teams. There was no development of us relative to lean tools. You know, and a lot of people were frustrated. I wasn't, I like, I've naturally liked change and, you know, everybody was saying, well, they should pay us four times as much if we got to run four machines. And I'm like, how many machines can you run at a time? <laughs> you know yeah, so what you mean? I said, they said four. I said, no, how many can you run at a time? If they're running by themselves, you ain't even running them. They're automatic. How many can you load and unload at one time? They're like, well, one, I said, well, if you load this one, and you go over there and you load and unload that one. You still ain't running but one at a time. So why do you think you need to be paid? I didn't think I needed to be paid four times as much. I mean, I was, I just loved it anyway. So, uh, you know, I got into it like that. But really, when I started leading lean, you know, I had all that background of having it done to me the wrong way for years. And then 
when I had the opportunity to lead it, the first book I read, because I told the plant manager, I said, I'm happy to do it. And let me just back up right there. The, the initial plant manager that asked me to do it, when this thing rolled out, it rolled out just like a lot of places. They, 5S was the initiative. It really wasn't a lean movement. It was a 5S movement across the entire you know, 70 plants. And that, that original plant manager was asking his staff, you know, who wanted to take it on? Nobody did. And I said, I would, that kind of thing, held up my hand. So initially that was all I had to do was 5S. And I kind of kicked that into gear and I set up 96 meetings I scheduled across eight departments. And we did, you know, a couple hours a day for multiple days. It wasn't, it was not like one five day Kaizen event or nothing. We did it methodically and intentionally over time while we were working because they didn't want us to stop working like a lot of manufacturing companies don't want you to do. So I had to figure out how do I do it anyway? And so that was the plan we came up with. And, and then that, as we moved forward and really got into lean, then, the, you know, the big initiative came out, we got to go complete lean. And so now it was my job to do that. And that plant manager, he was only there a couple of weeks after I became responsible for leading the entire movement of lean. And we, we don't really understand why, but now I know probably because it was minus 3% gross profit margin, but I didn't know that then. And, uh, but he got gone, but he threw me under the bus within them two weeks. He threw me under the bus with the managers because I was not a staff manager, even though I was reporting to the plant manager, I was, I was just a lean coordinator that had just been created that position. So pretty quick, he told me in the beginning, you got to let me know if any of my managers ain't on board. I got to know who they are. So I ain't never worked closely with this plant manager. I hadn't really ever talked to him much before then. So when I started telling him who wasn't on board, the very next staff meeting, I was invited to be a part of it. And he went around telling everybody who I had told him wasn't on board, threw me right underneath the bus. It was like, you know, I didn't expect that. I, 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 didn't, I didn't even know to expect that. Nothing like that had ever happened to me. And that kind of, I ain't never been hanging out with the big dogs like that before. And I, I definitely didn't expect to get thrown under the bus. But anyway, I got thrown under the bus. So if he wouldn't have left within a week or two, I probably would have quit. I, that frustrated me big time. And I didn't like that. That was pure bad management and a lot of other things, bad character. But but he did leave or got left, one of the two, within the next couple of weeks. And then we were kind of in limbo for a while, and I was still focusing on 5S and kind of learning about lean a little bit. But we were green. I was a green lean leader, and we had green team. Nobody really in the plant knew anything about lean, not any of the engineers, not any of the other managers, pretty much nobody. And then we got a new plant manager. This was in 2005. So 17 years into my career, Jim Narok walked in as the plant manager. And he's he's by far the best leader I ever reported to in, in my career. Really the only one that was what I call a true leader of people. And first thing he did was walked into my desk. And, you know, he was there a day or two, but he, pretty quick he had walked into my office and sat on the corner of my desk. And he said, he said I'm Jim Narok. I'm new plant manager. And, you know, tell me about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? And, you know, I told him, the story of our lean journey and that kind of thing where we were at and what I did. And he said, well, who do you report to? I said, well, it's like it used to be. I report to you. He said, well, that's good. Cause if you didn't report to me, you were about to start reporting to me because you got to report to me for us to be effective. And he was brought in to help lead the lean transformation. And what was cool is pretty quick after that, once he met everybody, he had a staff meeting. And so he, he brought us all in. He invited me to come as well. You know, I wasn't a staff manager. But with the other manager, let me back up. The ops manager, he didn't want me in that 
previous staff meet because I wasn't a formal staff manager. You know, he was one of them people all worried about position and title. And so, so he, he already, me and him had problems already. So he was still there though with the new plant manager. So Jim invited me in as he was talking to his staff and casting the vision, you know, I get to be invited. And that other ops manager still was there and he didn't like that, you know, but he probably didn't like Jim pretty quick because Jim wasn't the dictator. Jim was a leader. So Jim told him all about lean. He said, first thing you got to know is I, I'm leading lean. I'm responsible for the lean transformation. Mac is a tool. You guys got to get on board. I'm telling Mac right here in front of you guys, if you're not on board, Mac's got to let me know. I need to know who's not on board. Also, if Mac, if you need help from Mac and he can't help you, you got to tell me because I got to help Mac. Mac's new at this. I got to make sure he's trained up and developed and, and ready to go. And, and, and we ain't blaming nobody. This is where we're going. You know, he's, he took ownership and leadership. Right. And the way he did it was completely different than the way the other one did it. And so, you know, part of that, when you talk about respect for the people, Jim modeled it. He come in, turned me loose. Instantly, there was a great divide in a plant like there always is in a company. People for it, the people against it. It's the same way, even with the respect for people. You start talking about leadership. You got the managers go one way and the leaders are glad that it's here. Same way with lean. So that's a long, a long answer, but that's because the way it had been done to me when I led it. Oh, I told that plant manager, I said, I said, the only way I keep doing this, Jim, is you got to allow me to read at work. I've already been reading at work, you know, in between this transition, we didn't have a plant manager. I, I said, you got to let me continue to read at work because I'm learning this stuff. I said, but I'm also reading at home. Don't get me wrong. I ain't just saying I'll only do it at work. I just want to do it at home and at work. And then I'm going to learn and apply, learn and apply, learn and apply. And I got to teach myself. And then once I get something squared away, I'll pull together a Kaizen team and I'll learn to lead the Kaizen team and all that sort of stuff. So he, so he told me I could read all, all I wanted. And the first book I read was the Toyota way and the, the respect for the people resonated with me because my entire career, me and all my coworkers had been used and abused by mm. bad managers, what I call low impact leaders. So, so what I learned from all of them was don't be that way. And then what I started learning was how to be, you know, better, better than that. I love that story, Mac. And you can see there's people that are super concerned about the hierarchy and that they have their power and they're very sensitive to any perceived threat, real or not, to that power. And it creates enemies quickly. And you got nothing to do with it. Like you're just coming in. And so a lot of people listening are continuous improvement minded or people that are trying to deploy lean in, on their projects and their construction teams and their companies. And this is something that this story Mac is sharing with you is absolutely something that can happen to you is very likely to happen to you, but you still got to stay true to yourself. And Mac, I love in that story that you didn't give up. You kept reading, start reading on your own. I too was reading on my own to learn these things. The Toyota way is a book. I didn't read until uh, probably five years after my lean journey started. And, and I just regretted not having read it sooner. But I think yeah. in, in, my, in hindsight, Mac, I wasn't ready yet. I had to start with some other things first and then get the capacity. I remember I was getting uh, some credentials for work and I was studying for this test that I had to take. The company was paying for this exam. And one of my managers was giving me a hard time about studying for this exam. And I said, hold, I was like, if I don't pass this test, the company just paid like $500. And you want me to spend your money wisely or want me to waste your money? And I had to say that to the person. It wasn't obvious. So people, it's not always obvious to your supervisors what your learning is going to do for the company. So 
do do be like Mac. Lead the leaders. Lead the leaders. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Lead the leaders. Now, when you're pivoting and focusing more on character, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see? I mean, a lot of people talk about leadership as a continuum where you go from the extreme of dictator to the leader that lets people do whatever they want and just tries to be everybody's friend, right? But somewhere in the middle is where that lean leadership tends to be. What, uh, what mistakes do you see? Yeah, the number one mistake I see is none of them do workforce development, leadership development around character development, which is, I teach that character development equals leadership development. They're the same exact thing for me. There's, there's no difference. Every one of my books, every one of my wife Rhea's books, it's all about developing your character. People who don't study character, if you ask somebody who really doesn't know much about character, you say, what's character? They say, oh, it means you're good or bad. And, and it does mean you're good or bad, but that's a very, very, that's like saying lean means continuous improvement or respect for the people. I mean, it does mean that, but there's a, there's a lot, you got to know a lot more than that if you're going to know anything about lean and, and people. So that's, that's the number one thing is they don't, you know, they do pretty much even the bad managers for the most part, they do what's required. The sad thing is in a lot of places, there's not very much required, like training new people. A lot of places there's nothing required except hand them off to somebody who's doing the job and let them watch. That's the way I got trained. We yep. didn't have standardized work. We didn't have work instructions. You know, I, I told you I learned to run 70 different types of machines. I had a notebook for all those different machines. When I got trained on them, I had to take my own notes. <laughs> there was not even a, a, a sloppy standard there. There was just <laughs> tribal knowledge in each person's head who had their own notebook. And and so uh, that that's, that's the main thing, though, they're not doing is not teaching leadership development. When I say that from a from an entry level frontline person, I got I got books for all different levels of people. The one for the entry level worker is Blue Collar Leadership, leading from the front lines. A lot of people misunderstand that book from the title. They think it means is like frontline supervision, like a team leader or a frontline supervisor, leading from the front lines. Right? No, I'm talking about the operator leading. I mean, all the way on the front. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the the grunt, the one down there doing the work, the entry level person. If, on the org, they're usually not even on the org chart. They're right at the bottom. And what that book is filled with principles on how to lead yourself well. And I wrote it in a way that, you know, if your listeners or you happen to know of that old, that old black and white show, Andy Griffith show way back in the day. Oh, I know it. You know, what I do today is help leaders become more like Andy and less like Barney. And, <laughs> but I had to write that book where if you're a dictator or you're like Andy Griffith, whichever way you want to be, you still going to like that book that I wrote because you still going to want your team to do what's in that book. Cause I don't want to turn either one of those folks off. I want them to want to invest and develop their people. But then the third way I had to write it was so that no matter whether you had a good boss or a bad boss, that if they presented that book to you, you want to learn it because you want to learn it. You see the value. It ain't got nothing to do with the boss. It's got something to do with me and making my life better. So in that book, I share how principles, that I didn't know at the time and that I did know at the time that allowed me to get promoted 14 times in, in 20 years with a terrible character. I had terrible character in the front on the front end, especially. And uh, I should have been fired a hundred times, but I got promoted 14 times and never, never got fired. But, but it's really, how do you become a high impact individual? It's what that, that book is about. And so that's, you know, most of the time in companies, most of the time, the top leaders don't even get leadership development because it's not required. Unless you got a high impact leader with a high degree of character, even the top leaders don't get leadership development. The owners of the company, sometimes they don't go to conferences. They don't read leadership books. 
and, and they don't have to because they're getting results without doing it, obviously, or they wouldn't have a position. But if their competition ever starts, that's that's the main reason. It's kind of like Toyota with lean, right? And, and, and it's the perfect example because Toyota led the way with lean. I mean, you know, it started with Henry Ford, learned it and taught it, and then Toyota took it and ran with it, and we got lazy. I mean, that's that's the difference in character, right? And Mac is dropping facts right here, people. I'm 100% on board with what he's saying. That's why I'm, I'm shaking my head like a, like a toy over here. <laughs> Yep, Toyota, Toyota took it and ran with it. But see, in, in the U.S., the government saved the car companies because Toyota took it and ran with it, and the U.S. car companies didn't. And, and it, it about cost them all of their business. So in the same context, they were able, they got saved, and they got to catch up, and they, they tried. Uh, but relative to leadership development, let's say you and I have a company, Felipe, and I don't do leadership development. We, you don't either. Both of us are effective and we're successful and we compete with each other. And you discover leadership development. You start developing yourself and you get to the level where you say, well, I, I got to develop my team. I'm over here saying I can't afford to develop them. I ain't even worried about it. You saying I can't afford not to develop them because you done learned so much about it. You start developing your team. First thing going to happen is y'all going to start getting a whole lot better results. They're going to be a whole lot more trust. And what I'm talking about, it's leadership development, workforce development, but in my terms, it's respect for the people relative to lean. There's no higher respect for people to me than to develop people that you don't have to develop. I'm going to grow and develop you. And if you leave my company, I'm going to be your best cheerleader. As long as you was an A player while you were in my company. If you decide you want to leave and that's what's best for you, I'm going to write you the best recommendation you ever had. I'm going to help you get the next job. As soon as I do it and you tell everybody else, my company's going to start getting even better. They're going to be like, you know, Mac, I'm switching roles because I'm saying I wrote it. So if I wrote that for, for someone, they're going to tell everybody and trust is going to increase. But let's say that's you. You do all that stuff. I don't do it. So you're going to start getting better results. You're going to get people. You're going to start sustaining the gains better. You're going to get much better buy-in because trust is going up. And I ain't getting all this. But people in my company are going to start hearing about your company. Yep. And you're going to start stealing the best people from my company. So I'm going to get worse results because, see, that's one of the things way back when I used to do a lot of lean, I used to share the quote, but I always added to it. But the quote says, if you always do what you always done, you're going to always get what you always got. And I'll ask the teams, you know, do you believe that's true? And most all of them say, yeah. And I'll say, I say, there's a caveat in there. There's, I got a warning for you. That only works if everybody else always done what, what they've always been doing. But let's say you always do what you've always done, but I start applying lean and then I'm going to take it up and, and launch it through the roof and then say I start applying lean and leadership. And you just keep doing what you've been doing, which is none of that. I promise you ain't going to always get what you got because I'm going to start getting your business and I'm going to start getting your best people. And if I don't stop and you don't start, I'm going to put you out of business. That's absolutely spot on. I've never heard that caveat on that quote, but as you're saying it, it makes perfect sense. People, if you're at a company and they're not learning, and Mac, I've just been talking to some people recently. I, I offer training and development, and one of the people that was on my show in one of the early seasons of the BFC show was Katie Anderson, who wrote a book, Leading to Learn, Learning to Lead. And what Katie described or uncovered was Toyota's approach to leadership development. And through that book and, and the stories that she sh shared, she said, this is the most important differentiator is that. It is like prerequisite. If you're going to work at Toyota, 
as a leader, you have to be committed to developing yourself. And they do leadership development, character development, and training like nobody else in the industry. I mean, it doesn't even matter what position you're in. Before you go to work, and I know Mac knows because he studied up, you have to go through training for weeks before you can even go to the, do the job that you were hired to do. And it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you're a frontline operator. It makes no difference. Everybody has to be a leader. Everyone has to develop themselves and everyone has to be continuously learning all the time. And if you don't have that, you don't get to make it and work there. And, and this is something that people forget. Why we hold Toyota in such high esteem is because people that go to work there, their attrition rates are less than a single percentage point across the entire planet Earth. There is not a, a company in any industry. If you're listening to this show, you are not working at a company with an attrition rate less than 1%, unless you're working at Toyota, it stands out. It's a standout company far head and shoulders above. And like Max said, if I'm implementing leadership development, character development, and he's not, I you bet I'm gonna be stealing and taking his employees to come work here. I'm gonna be attracting people and I'm gonna have the capability and time to even pay attention to Max's company and go actively poaching the people that I want because I know I'm going to attract that type of talent. So, wow. Yeah, thank you for that one. If a leader that you're working with, and you've worked with lots of leaders, becomes aware that they're deficient in something, what do you tell that leader that they should do first? I mean, the first thing they got to do is look in the mirror. I got a book called Blue Collar Leadership and Culture, the five components for building high-performance teams. And in that book is written for the top level leader who maybe hears me speak somewhere. And it happens a lot, business owners or CEOs, but it's mainly business owners. I, I speak to a lot of conferences where there's a lot of business owners, you know, the, the top dogs are in there. And a lot of times they ain't never heard the kind of leadership that I talk about. And most of the time I'm not talking about lean at all, I'm, unless they know, unless they're lean and they know I was, you know, a part of lean and I got a book about leading lean teams and that sort of thing. And then I'll talk about lean. So most of the time lean is not talked about, but I'm still talking about respect for the people. They just don't know that's a, one of the components of lean. Yeah. So first thing they got to do is they got to look in the mirror and your, your company, the culture, the results, every, everything within your company, if you're at the top and it's also your team, you could be a frontline supervisor. Your company is those five people that report to you or however many you got. Anybody can take that book and apply it just to their team and pretend they're the CEO of that team. Right. But the results that you're getting, just a reflection of your leadership. John Maxwell teaches that he calls the, the, the law of the lid. The organization or the team, whatever you want to wrap it in, can outgrow the character of the lid on the organization. Let's say on a scale of one to 10, you're a three, Felipe. You hire me in, I'm a one or two. Because you ain't going to get nothing over a three. If yeah. you do, they ain't going to stay. They only going to get fooled somehow. And if they get in, if they hire than a three, if they're higher than you in character, they're going to get in and get out. That's what's going to happen there. But you bring me in a one, one or a two, there's a little slack in the chain. Between me and you, there's some slack. So you, you start growing and developing me, or you don't, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. Right. We're, we're all, the organization will never be above a three. It's probably going to be a two or, or less. So, But if you start developing us, you bring somebody like me in to start developing your team because you see there's some slack. But you don't participate because it ain't about you. They're the ones that ain't getting the results, right? So, so you do shift your values a little and you value developing them and you, you start to, to lift them up. What's going to happen? They're going to start bumping their head against you. They're going to start learning stuff you ain't learning. They're going to start seeing stuff 
that they need to do better and realize that you ain't doing it either and you need to do better. And then they're going to be frustrated with you because you don't participate and you ain't interested because they'll know if you are because it's obvious. You'll be in the classes. You'll be sitting there. The, be, the, the best companies I go to, the CEO or the owner sitting on the front row taking notes. The worst ones, they don't show up at all. And then there's a middle group where they show up and stand in the back of the room with their arms crossed and want to watch and see what everybody's doing. But the best one comes up, sits in the front so everybody else can see what they're doing. They're engaged. They're learning. They're humble. They write notes. They turn in pages. So that's why I say you got you to gotta look in the mirror. If you want to grow and develop your team, they're exactly where your character and your competency has led them. They, they, they can't be any higher than your ability to lead them. So if you want to create some space, you start growing yourself to create some space. You want to bring them with you now and you got some space to, to bring them with you and they'll come with you and you'll start attracting other people. So that's, you know, who we are is who we attract. If you're, if you're a three leader and you grow yourself to an eight and then you grow your company to an eight, now let's go back and imagine you back to the three. So you got a team of twos and ones. My, my partner quits and leaves. And so I say, hey, Felipe, I know somebody. If who I am is who I attract, and I'm a one or a two. Guess who I know? I know another one or a two. Exactly. So I'm 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 helping you recruit ones or twos because that's who we are. You grow and develop us, your team, so that we're sevens and eights because you're a eight. Now somebody leaves, and I, you know, it's it takes years. This ain't in an afternoon or a week or a month or something. But over years, you become an eight, and you grow us into an eight. Now somebody leaves, and I say, hey, Felipe, I know somebody. I don't know ones and twos anymore. I don't left them behind. Not because I'm better than them. We we travel in a different direction. They was happy being ones or twos. I'm going to eight. They want to stay where they at. I got to leave them behind. Not because I'm better, just because I'm going somewhere else. So now you've created a culture of people who know people that are like them. So when they're referring people, they're referring people like them. And your company, when other people are watching, when they're interacting, if if you're a contractor, you out a subcontractor. I got one client. Their goal is to be the the top sub and they probably are and uh the the way they become the top sub is by having the best people but they the difference is that they're not not developing the, the people to be the best sub they're developing people because they want to have people help people have a better life and this is an electrical construction company i'm talking about this this leader started this company from zero part of a large mep mechanical electrical and plumbing and they didn't really have an E. They had a couple of people who served as the E internally for the company, but they didn't have a division out there just tearing it up. So I connected the CEO with, a, with a, someone I knew who had a high degree of character. I didn't know about a competence because I ain't electrical construction guy. I said, y'all need to meet and talk. Y'all got both got a high character. Might be a great fit. And he hired this guy, Jason Denham. He hired him to start up the electrical division. This is, this is the fourth year we're in right now. He started with zero employees zero dollars in sales and he he's beyond 50 million in sales a year and he's got over 130 employees he started from scratch but i've been mentoring him for 10 years and when i started mentoring him he was leading about five or six people as an entry level like supervisor in electrical construction company you know the crew out on the job site but when i come into that company and started talking that young man he was in his 20s then he sat up tall his eyebrows went down he flipped open his book he was on the front row and he started taking notes. I said, uh-oh, one of them. He's one of me. He's like me. He's like you, Felipe. He, it resonated with him. 
And today his income's about eight times what it was 10 years ago. Wow. And he's going he's to have his own company one day. And he don't have, in the construction business, you probably know way better than me. A lot of your listeners may know way better than me, but they say it's hard to find people. It ain't hard for Jason to find them. They lined up waiting to get there. He's built it up. He's lived this stuff. He teaches this stuff. They use my book. They bought thousands and thousands of my book. The whole company, all, all divisions have. But he's his division is gung-ho like crazy because he is. He's vice president. He was hired in as vice president of electrical construction. And he's got electrical uh, master's license in six, seven, eight states. On his team of 130, he's got about 20-something master electricians. On He's like, he's like that's not, that doesn't happen, Mac. But it does happen in his organization. And when he hires these good people and then they come in and see how really good his company is, guess what they do? They tell the people like them who they want to become join this from the other organization. And he just got, he got more people. He can grow as fast as he wants with as many great people as he wants. It's phenomenal to watch him as a client and as somebody I value highly as, as a mentee. Back when I'm working with teams, I'm assessing the leader's ability or appetite for learning. And you can predict how they're going to grow. I've never heard it, you know, described so eloquently and you barely had any apostrophes in that, Max. I got to give you, you, know, you get an extra. <laughs> I did good. You did. You did good. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to steal that, uh, that type of thinking and that numbering. And you're just changing my whole game. Like right now, listeners, Mac is elevating me right now. I feel like I'm learning something and I only can't take notes right now because there's no room in front of me, but I get to watch this episode as many times as I, as it takes to let that knowledge sink in. You're only going to grow as fast or as slow as the leader in the group lets you, or if you're just a bunch of, like Max said, a bunch of threes, that's just what you're going to be stuck at. That's what you're going to stay at. And for all my listeners out there, you know, your construction projects are all small businesses. Each project is a business. Each project can be thought of just like that. And I'm even getting excited for this electrical company. Like, I want to know who this company is so that I can connect them to people in our company so that we can elevate and work with better companies. And you're totally right. One company does not get to have 20 master electricians at it. That is rare. That is something special. And that's I think it's 22 fun. or three, he told me last. Yeah. Yeah, that's something special. Jason is definitely attracting. That's proof positive, people, that your attitude towards learning is your limiting factor in your is your successful journey as you go out let me interrupt you i don't like interrupting but before you go past that uh kilgore industries that's the name they're headquartered out of houston texas jason actually operates out of dallas but he's all over the place they're growing into they're doing work in other states i think florida alabama it's just jason doing all that <laughs> i don't know that the rest of the company does much of that but jason's built a traveling crew he's got people they actually buy rvs and and uh Instead of putting folks up in hotels, they buy RVs for the traveling folks, put them up, and then they go sell the RV afterward. It's it's just it's cool. They instead of being in a hotel, a crappy hotel, they're they're in a state park or somewhere. It's got a lake and they're outdoors and 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 they also get the option to buy the RV at a like half price or quarter price, and it's brand new except for the time they lived in it. So it's all like habit four from the seven habits. Win win. Jason lives this stuff. He's always getting better. And I'm proud of him. Like you can't imagine. Yeah. I love that story, Mac. And that's just icing on the cake. Win, win. If you're letting, you know, people make decisions on the short term and you're thinking, if I'm going to win, 
I got to take something away from somebody else. That's win lose. That is very limited way to think in business. There are so many ways that the business can benefit by giving the employees, you know, that nice perk, like that RV at a reduced price. It's good for, for tax write-off purposes. It's good for morale. It's good for just taking care of people. It's the right thing to do. And it's win-win. Everybody wants a high-performing team. And you've already said, I'm going to repeat it. You don't flip a switch. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But what are some of the characteristics that you've witnessed in high-performing teams? The number one thing is trust. I mean, like the Navy SEALs, the, the highest thing for their team is trust. It's not performance. You got to have trust before you, you get performance. You can get some degree of performance, but you don't get high performance unless there's high trust. So, and you're only going to have high trust if you grow and develop the character of the people. I got to be, I can't make you trust me. All I can do is be trustworthy and you can choose to trust me. And, and that's still only going to happen if we have shared values. You know, I can meet two people and one of them trusts me highly and one of them doesn't trust me at all. It happens all the time when I go into uh, it's the same way with lean, but it's also the same way with leadership. If somebody values lean and process improvement, they're going to, they're going to value somebody who brings that to the table. If they value the status quo, doing things the way we've always done it, don't like change, resistant to change, well, they ain't going to like me. And that's what, you know, between 2005 and 2012, I logged over 11,000 hours leading Kaizen events, pretty much most of all the, those 11,000 hours was Kaizen events. You know, I go in, I get a fresh team on Monday. They don't like me. They don't like the leader. They don't like the last consultant. They don't like each other. A lot of times they don't like change. They don't like getting told purely disrespect for the people. Five minutes before the Kaizen event starts on a Monday morning. Hey, I've got to tell you last week, you on this Kaizen event, total disrespect. There's so many times that that happens. So now this person's irritated because they actually care about their job and care about whoever just got it dumped in their plate that they wasn't prepared to dump it in somebody's plate because they didn't know they needed to dump in somebody's plate, right? And I, I guarantee you, Felipe, you've seen what I just said oh, happen a lot. I just stopped that from happening two weeks ago myself. So yep. we were preparing a group and somebody wanted to, at the last second, I told them, I said, we need runway to land this plane to start this right with this team. And I said, there's a couple of things I won't compromise on and I will not compromise on disrespecting people. We are not doing that. I said, I'd rather push this thing to next quarter if necessary so we can give people the time to be prepared and ready i was like it sends the wrong message that we're going to interrupt everybody at the last second with almost no input or feedback or conversation and just say you need to be here because we said so we're the boss Eh, wrong answer we're not doing that so we we made a decision to push it to later and i said it doesn't even matter how late we start it as long as we do it respectfully it's going to be received completely differently you're going to get buy-in Yep. And you're going to get people who want to sustain the game. If you can lead the event right once it happens, right? Just, there's, a, there's a front end and then there's a why it's actually happening. And then there's the, the, the post event stuff. But, but the front end is just as important as what you just described. Getting that part right is just as important as when you walk in. But I didn't get that liberty a lot of times because I was just coming in cold, so to speak. And so, I, you know, everything I teach you, you on this podcast and in my books, I had to learn to do it under the gun. I had to walk in on Monday morning. I had five days. If they really didn't want to buy into me and trust me, they didn't have to do anything at the end of the week. They just say, man, that's a bad consultant. And, and then I don't ever get invited back and they don't have to change nothing. And they just be frustrated for a week, but I never had anything like that happen. All my teams were phenomenal, not because I'm special, but these principles are special. And if, if you know how to apply them, you were talking about the teamwork piece. I got a 
I got a book. I'm actually releasing a podcast series right now on this book. It's called Blue Collar Leadership and Teamwork, uh, 30 Traits of High Impact Players. So I shared with you my Frontlines book. It's how to become a high impact individual. My teamwork book is it. now that I am a high impact individual, how do I become a high impact team player? Because there's a lot of high impact individuals. They don't perform well as a team at all because they individuals. But you can still be a high impact individual again, not be a high impact team player. So that book is full of 30 chapters. Every one of them starts with the word be. The first one in that chapter is be trustworthy. The second one is be growth oriented. And then it's just filled with chapters like that. And you, you could take that book. You could open it just to the contents. You could ask any team member, regardless if their character is a one or a 10. You could say, if you had a choice to pick a team member who's trustworthy or one who's not, which one would you want on your team? They all going to say trustworthy. Yes, they will. They, if you if you could have somebody join your team who's growth oriented or not, would you want the person who's growing and going somewhere learning stuff or you want somebody who's stagnant, ain't learning anything? So you go through the whole list. Everybody would answer the question. But when I ask it, you know, I'll ask it one question and everybody will say the obvious answer. And then I'll say, now the most important question is, which one are you? <laughs> Back. Thank you so much. This has been an incredible show. I'm going to have to have you come back on the show multiple times. Any, anytime. I I'll, love it. You can tell I love it. Anytime love you want too. me to be here, I'll show up. Yeah, same. And anytime you need me to cheerlead you in the front row, taking copious notes, you just call me, tell me where to be back, and I'll be there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here on, on the podcast. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build. <laughs>